there are worse days to be outside, amen? It's beautiful. Hey, open up your Bibles or your smartphones to John chapter 9. If you're with us, um, first of all, my name's Chad, and one of the pastors here, and that's Pastor Ken. And Can we just give one more shout to those who, who served all week? I know the molars were here a bunch. And can we just give one more shout and say thank you to those who who just served and were here multiple hours. We just bless you and thank you so much. If you're with us last week, um, we, we, we looked at a man named Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. and This miracle of healing that the prophet Elijah sent him to dip into the murky, muddy waters of the Jordan. And he thought, surely God, you wouldn't tell me to go... He expected God to be in the spectacular, the huge, and the massive. And how many know God is the God of the spectacular, huge, and massive, but what really moves his heart is when we just say yes to what he says. (laughs) Give me a thumbs up if you agree, or honk your horn if you're in your car. That how many know we can miss the activity of God if we're only looking in the big spectacular when the camera and the lights are there to capture our obedience. We'll miss the majority of the Christian life which is tied one little yes to one little yes at a time. And how many are thankful that that means every person in attendance and those watching online can be a fruitful Christian if obedience is what moves God's heart? Come on. So last week we talked about simple obedience and the heroes of the Naaman story, in my opinion, was the little girl, servant, slave girl in exile who told this big important commander where healing could be found. (laughs) And then Naaman's servant who told him, you better listen to the prophet's word or you'll miss your healing. How many are thankful that when God sets about to do something, he releases his word and he's looking for agreement in the hearts and lives of those who will receive the word, cherish it, treasure it, and obey it no matter the cost. That's the God that we serve. So God's word of healing through the prophet needed to find a carrier and a conduit to receive that word and allow it to manifest through a yes. How many would say that you've been a recipient of God's words throughout your life, but you haven't always let all of those words materialize with your yes? Come on, that should have been an amen from everybody in the house or outside. And so... You can be a successful, flourishing, fruitful believer if you'll cooperate with the person and work of the Holy Spirit who perpetually wants to take your heart, to turn it into a spiritual womb, if you will, to treasure the word of the Lord for it to come to fruition and then to flow through your life unto his glory and your ultimate good. If you agree, say amen. That's what happens every time we say yes to Jesus. How many think it's a pretty decent idea to say yes to the one who, at the power of his word, the worlds were spun into existence? Not a bad thought to obey the word made flesh himself. And I love the story we're going to look at. It's another miracle story And it's another story that unpacks the 
the point that I began last week will continue the thought and conversation this week. So everybody, give me a thumbs up if you've got John 9 open on your device or your physical Bible. It's a beautiful story, profound story, profound story. I want to give just a very brief introduction as far as how we got here in the gospel of John. Jesus has already been proclaimed to be the lamb who would take away the sin of the world in John chapter 1, the word made flesh, the one who came to us full of grace and truth. How many are thankful for grace and truth? (laughs) Amen. He's the one who turns water into wine, who saves us in our embarrassment and our inadequacy and bankruptcy in John chapter 2. He's the one who prophesied the destruction of the temple, both the literal temple in 70 AD and the temple of his own body that the Father would vindicate in resurrection. He is the one who loves the world, and he will take spiritual seekers and skeptics no matter the time of day. He's the one who entertains the religious expert, Nicodemus, in John 3, and tells him, If you want to see the kingdom, you've got to be born again. Come on. He's the one who is tired and thirsty from the journey. Can I get an amen? But even in his weariness and tiredness, his heart is open to the mission of his father, and he meets the Samaritan woman by the well. And he tells her, you will continually be thirsty until you drink from the water that flows from me. We're talking about Jesus in John 5 who told the man who'd been waiting for over 30 years for his miracle, and he tried to get into the healing waters. But when Jesus encounters him, he says, do you want to get well? And just one word from Jesus, and the man who is crippled from birth rises to his feet. We're talking about Jesus in John 6, who says, I am the living bread. Unless you eat of me, you have no life in you. And then in John chapter 7, that great declaration of the pinnacle of the Feast of Tabernacles when Israel celebrated God's faithfulness in the wilderness. And on the last day when the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and take the water out and pour it over the altar, crying out for the days of Ezekiel 47 when God's rushing, life-giving river would flow from his temple. The further away it went, the more healing, the more vibrancy, the more flourishing. And Jesus has the audacity on that day when the priests pour out the water and says, I am that living water. I am the one. Drink of me and you'll become those life-giving tributaries wherever you're planted. Come on, somebody say amen. That's John chapter 7. And then John chapter 8, we we meet the, the sinful woman caught in the act, and she falls at his feet, and she's surrounded by stoners. That's a Bible joke. I just made it up on the spot. Those who had stones in their hand, remember? And Jesus, in his brilliance, he, he kind of ignores them, and he crouches down, and he begins to write, and every single scholar has a theory. What's he writing on the sand? I don't really care, but... He gets up and he says, those who are without sin cast the first stone and praise the Lord. They had a moment of wisdom and realized, oh, none of us are fit to really be the judge, jury, and prosecutor of this woman because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the stones begin to fall. He restores the woman to her dignity, releases forgiveness and peace over her life. This is our Jesus, friends. This is our king. This is the one who we offer the entirety of our lives to because he's worthy. And then in John, he 
He begins a conversation that he picks up here in John 9 when he says, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness. And how many are thankful that in days of great darkness, that if you're following Jesus, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness, it doesn't understand it and it certainly cannot overcome it because he is the light that is indistinguishable. I'm the light of the world. That's what he said. If you follow me, stay in line with me. You'll never have to fear what swirls about you because I know where I'm headed. I know how the story ends. And how many know that one of the things we do week in and week out as we gather as believers is to remind each other how the story ends? Amen. If you take the news or your social media feed to to fuel your vision of how things are and where things are headed, you will be a depressed, anxious, discouraged. Am I describing anybody in the house? Why we gather as believers and why we lift up the glory of Jesus is because Jesus, Ephesians 1, 8 through 10, is where all of history is headed. Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue confess and acknowledge that he alone is the fit ruler and Lord of all creation. And so that's like a little golf clap. It's really good news. It's really, really good news, I promise. So that's John 1 through 8. I mean, read it. I left out some good, good story, but that's how we got to John 9. Jesus is already, John's showing us, he's already finding himself and getting into trouble. I can serve a Savior who's not afraid to get into a little trouble. To bring his father's kingdom from the religious rulers and those who have power. Those who had places of prominence in his culture. Those who had all of the answers and had it figured out how when God intervened, they knew they knew it. They had all the rules and stipulations and then Jesus shows up. Come on, somebody. How many want Jesus to show up even if it disrupts your expectations and how you thought it was going to unfold? We need Jesus to show up. <laughs> Woo! John 9. John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground. We're going to do this after the service is over. There's some dirt over there exposed. A few of you thought that was funny, but way more than a few have glasses who could use some healing on their eyes. Amen. And he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes, and he said, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word, Siloam, means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Remind you of the story last week. Naaman was healed when he went and washed and dipped. There's a crossover here. 
Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This passage is significant in our cultural moment because we live in an unprecedented day where every single person on the planet, or at least in America, either they're the victim or the perpetrator, but they're also the prosecutor, judge, and jury. Can I get an amen? We live in a day where every person is trying to diagnose, to name, to identify, and prescribe that which is ailing us as individuals and as a culture. If you agree, just say amen. All of us, like the disciples, when we see situations that look helpless, that look hopeless, they see the blind guy and they just assume, well, somebody must have done something that that guy's in his condition. Who has ever found himself in the place of a disciple? Wondering. I wonder why he's that way. I want you to see that Jesus corrects what was a popular thought in his day, the Jewish tradition, and it's as popular in our day. I want you to know that, yes, Exodus chapter 20 says he visits the sins of fathers and sons, you know, into the third and fourth generation, and the, the blessing of obedience goes a thousand generations. How many are thankful for the glory of the blessing that's found in obedience? So the sin and its effects are a very real thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's real. Don't mess with it. But I want you to know the Bible also is replete with passages, none more significant than Psalm 103, that God does not treat us as our sins deserves. Hallelujah. So the disciples, they see the problem they know Jesus is the solution. They've already seen him heal and multiply food and cast out demons. They know he's got the solution. They think they need his help in identifying the problem. And Jesus prays the Lord, corrects their terrible theology that has hurt so many. We do not serve a God who is out to get us. Can I get an amen? That even in his judgment... Under his wings, there, are, there is mercy, there is healing for those who will receive his justice and his forgiveness and healing. And I love that Jesus speaks to the, the disciples' misdiagnosis. And I want you to know that there are genuine problems. There are dynamics, power dynamics, racial dynamics. There are many problems in our culture. You don't have to say amen because we feel it. 
But I would wonder what would begin to happen is, yes, as we discern, I'm not saying stop discerning or check your brain at the door and just have no thoughts or opinions. That I would never tell you to do that. That'd be ridiculous. But I want you to know that as followers of Jesus Christ, once you think you've identified the problem, it's very good to go on next to identify the one who is the solution, who is the healer in our midst. I'm not saying it's not good to understand why, we are, why we're in the place that we're in. I think we can learn from those things. Amen. But I want you to know that in your discernment and in my discernment of what problems we perceive in culture, problems in your own family, problems in your own heart, I would encourage us and admonish us in the Lord to invite Jesus into that discernment process. With Jesus in the mix, even darkness is as light to him. Come on, somebody. With Jesus the king in the mix, even one who was born blind, his story is not over if Jesus is involved in that story. Even in our nation, when it's raging, and Psalm 2 looks like a cultural commentary, nations raging, kings of the earth, gathering together, casting off restraint, rebelling against the one that the Father has installed on Zion's hill. Even when it looks helpless and hopeless and discouraging, friends, I would invite us as the church of all people to invite Jesus into the center and say, what do you think? Do you have anything to offer that could change the storyline? And I want you to know that we serve a king who will, in two chapters later, identify himself as the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? That even a diagnosis of death with Jesus Christ involved, the story changes. Come on, how many want to see him change the story in our generation? We may be blind, and we don't know how we got here. We have some ideas about our sinfulness and our rebellion and compromise. And, but at the end of the end of the day, we're still blind begging unless Jesus offers us something as a way out from our condition, just like Naaman from last week. Jesus talks about doing the works of his father. Did you know that there is a work for us to be doing in this hour? Come on. Remember Y2K? Where everyone was just holing up and, come on, I, I'm not going to hate on anybody in this room or those watching online. Where you bought, I still have water from 2000. <laughs> Some canned beans. We'll all have great fiber in the apocalypse. Man, I'm funny. That's funny. Come on. When the nations are raging and the foundations are shaking, the people of God are not meant to hide and like an ostrich stick their head in the sand. There's a work to be done. Our king his face, Revelation chapter 2, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, the sun's face is like the sun shining in its brilliance. And Jesus says, you may not know the reason why this guy is in the condition that he's in, but while I'm in the world, there's a work for the people of God to be doing. And it's not to complain, to naysay, to post the meme. It's to step into the darkness and emanate the healing, transforming grace and love of Jesus Christ. There is a work. There is an intensity in the heart of Jesus. There is an intensity because there's two fulfillments to this passage. 
How many know that there was literally a day coming when he would be crucified and darkness would cover Jerusalem? Raise your hand. There was, there's, a, there's an initial fulfillment. He was referring to the imminent death. He knew he was on a collision course with the cross. That's why he was born. Amen. But I want you to know that the ascended Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 10, that even though we feel that darkness is raging, there is one whose face still beams with the healing, redemptive, transformative light from the right hand of the Father over his people. Which means... You and I, when it comes to the work of the Father, and we could just summarize the work of the Father as just look at the life of Jesus. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help me out. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus defines our neighbor as who? The bloody guy. Remember Luke chapter 10 on the side of the road? The half-breed Samaritan is the hero of the story. Remember, Jesus takes our version and vision of neighbor, those who look like me, think like me, vote like me. And he says in Matthew 5 that everyone loves those who look like them, vote like them, act like them. You're to even love your enemies, those who hate you and persecute you. Jesus is such, he's so much smarter than me because I would never do that. Come on, anybody else honest today, you would never do that. Praise God that we were blind, but a touch from Jesus, those things we would do by nature, now he's forming us into those people that when darkness reigns and rules, there's an Isaiah 60 arising coming where the glory of God will be seen on the people of God for this great hour. Thank you, brother. Sorry, I preach different when I'm outside because I'm, I'm channeling my Billy Graham or whatever. John Wesley, Whitfield, I'm not claiming to be as good as those guys, but I'm on, I'm on a journey. Amen. Everybody doing okay? My job every week is to remind us of the glory of Jesus and the gospel. That if you're not hooked into that story of what God has promised to do in and through his son, you are in the wrong story. The story that you're in, if it doesn't lead to him, if it doesn't exalt him, if it doesn't draw you to bring all of your allegiance and affection and ambition and appetites and bend them and bow them to him so that he can remake you and send you out to do the work of his father, then friends, we are missing our vocation as the people of God. So Jesus tells the boys, hey, we got work to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, we got work to do. And that, yes, for Jesus, the darkness was coming because he was on a collision course with the cross. But I want you to know that Jesus prophesied over his church in Matthew chapter 5, but he said, you're the light of the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Come on, how many would say today, I feel the darkness, and there's times if I don't check my emotions and my thoughts and my theories of what's going to happen in this nation or my own life, that it's easy to allow the lamp to get put under a bowl. But I want you to know this is the hour to put that thing on the stand and to say, there's a work to do, friends. Okay, so Jesus sees the guy. I love this. 
think about this man who's been born blind. And like Naaman, the, the solution was to go to the muddy, murky waters of the Jordan. And Jesus' solution for this guy's blindness is to play with the mud and to apply it to his eyes. How many would be slightly offended by this act of Jesus? I mean, unless you're three years old or two. You're like, this is awesome. Jesus plays with mud. Come on. There's all kinds of theories. I read commentaries about, you know, saliva and vile things and Jesus turning the narrative. And my favorite is it's sort of alluding to Genesis 2-7 when God bent over into the dirt and breathed life and created humanity. And here Jesus is doing a creative miracle with the physical material of his creation. He's using it for his glory. However you get there, the guy is sitting there with caked on mud on his eyes. This is a problem. He's got mud on his eyes, and he's got a word from Jesus. And I'm convinced, friends, that so many of us, I, I remember sitting on this passage months ago, and finally I'm preaching it, but so many of us are, we've got now at this point dried mud on dry dirt. Ever, come on, has anyone ever been to, and you got mud all over your body, and then it dries, and then it hurts really bad to rip off your skin. Come on, somebody say amen. I, I, I did a photo shoot once for uh, this music video. It was, don't look it up. I'm not even going to, let's just leave it there. I had to wear it was just very bad, but I was Adam. I played Adam in this video, and so they caked mud and dirt all over me, and I came out of the dirt. It's actually very cool looking with really cool cameras and stuff, but I tell you what, it hurts so bad, that dry dirt to peel off, and I'm convinced that so many of us, unless we we receive what Jesus' solution is to our problems, but then he includes us in the breakthrough with the word of direction. You've got to go to the pool and wash. And I'm convinced that so many of us, friends, we're sitting before Jesus. We've heard his word as it pertains to our marriage or our family or our kids or our business or our finances. We've heard his word. He has metaphorically applied the dirt, the mud. You know enough for your next step, but you're sitting there, and now by this time, the mud's not pliable. It's crusty, and you can't see, and you're like, Jesus, do you have any more spit? And he's like, no, I don't have any more spit to make more mud. Come on, can you imagine it? But Jesus, what else do you have? I, he's like, I already gave you a word. And I've convinced so many of us not to make you feel bad because I have had dry dirt on my face before too. It's not the time for Jesus to go back playing in the mud. It's time to obey the thing you know he's calling you to obey. And I just, I remember months ago, I was sitting in this passage just journaling and reflecting, and I'm like, Lord, I just heard the Lord's humor. I didn't hear an audible voice, but an internal, the Spirit. And the Lord's like, Chad, so many of my people want me to spit again. I'm not going to spit again. They need to just obey what I told them to do. Go into the pool called Scent. Wash yourself. Get up and you'll see. And so many of us, maybe the compromise, if you're watching, and the compromise or the complacency or the apathy, and you just think, 
man, Jesus just needs to do something else in my life. And I'll, that's true. He wants to do more in your life. But everything Jesus does in your life, he does with you in partnership in the Holy Spirit. And so many of us are like, yeah. Spit again, Jesus. Tell me it again. And he's like, I already told you. And praise God, we have this man who his whole life he spent, spent as a blind beggar. Unlike Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5 who negotiates, is this God, is this not God? I should have just, I mean, I got better water in Damascus. Why would he make me? This man gets up and just immediately obeys. Come on, somebody. Who wants to be those people that whatever he says, we just say yes. Wherever he speaks, whatever he's saying, even if his means and his convict, like, listen. So many of us don't take Jesus serious enough. Am I talking to anybody today? Really, Jesus? And then I was thinking about this. Imagine uh, D.A. Carson, who, if you Google best commentary on John, his is like, it always comes up number one. So I was reading that, the study in preparation, and he said, Imagine how scandalous and goofy he would have felt from wherever he got the mud applied till he walked to the pool of Siloam. Come on, I want you to know that we're in an hour where there very well and already is, there might actually be a little bit of stigma to be one who claims Christ as Lord and not Caesar and every other ruler and power and authority. Can I get an amen? We're in a day where we're going to begin to experience maybe a little bit of what this blind man experienced with caked on mud on his eyes between where he was sitting begging in his place of helplessness, blindness, and hopelessness to the pool. How many know sometimes in the Christian life, you just got to bear the disgrace and the stigma. Just go read 1 Corinthians chapter 4 or Matthew 10 or a lot of other passages, Revelation 2 and 3 and other passages. I want you to know that it's okay to feel that, but just get to the pool. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, just get to the pool. I mean, at what point, look at me, imagine the guy. He's, he's begging. Jesus spits, creates dirt. He's like, now, and, and, and why I brought up D.A. Carson, he, this is a considerable walk to the pool of Siloam for a blind dude with mud on his eyes. And I want you to know that that journey from the application of mud to the pool can often be a long journey, but don't lose heart. Get to the pool. Do what he says. Come on, somebody. Many of you are on that journey right now for your kids, for your family. The Lord said that my obedience would mean a thousand generations for my kids and grandkids. Come on, someone out there. And you're walking with mud on your face. You're walking the road Jesus said to walk. And the mud feels like it's drying a little bit. And I want to encourage and admonish you as your pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, get to the pool. Bear the stigma. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Just say that to yourself. Don't lose heart. Get to the pool. Wash in those waters. That long journey from his place of helplessness to the place of breakthrough. I want you to know we're in those days in America. 
And it's not the time to shrink back on that journey. It's not, it's not that time to shrink back for your family. It's not that time to say, well, maybe he didn't really mean it. Come on, somebody. It's time to say, Lord, you said go, and I'm going to go all the way. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to quit. And that's why we need each other. Come on, how many believe we need each other in this hour? To bear that, some of that, I love it. I, I, I love that, it, that the pool's called sent. How many believe that the Father sent his Son into the world to save the world, not condemn the world? John three sixteen and 17. Amen. How many know that Jesus, after cross and resurrection, looks at his boys and gals, the disciples, all of us, he says, you know what, just as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. Come on. And I love, look at this, you can't make this stuff up. I love that his healing is tied to being immersed into a pool called sent because this man who was blind, whose eyes were opened through the glory of Jesus, would be one who could point others to the pool of healing. Come on, somebody. Everything he does in you, he doesn't want to stop with you. He wants it to flow through you to those who are blind around you. And I love that the healing, he's got to be immersed in the pool called scent. And friends, this is an hour, yes, where we gather. Gatherings will never go away. Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembly with the believers. Amen. In the throne room where you enter in the new and living way and your hearts are cleansed and washed and sprinkled with pure water and you spur each other on towards love and towards good deeds and you don't shrink back and find yourself amongst those who are sort of negotiating, is it really worth following him or is there another story that's better to follow, to believe in? And I want you to know that, that in this great hour of sifting and shaking and testing that there is one who has made a way for you and for me to go all the way. I love it. I'm, I'm in the middle of, I'm studying uh, the, the book of Revelation. We'll be doing a series at some point. But to all seven churches in the province of Asia, to the one who overcomes. Come on, say that. To the one who overcomes. To the one who overcomes. To, the, to the, every one of them, to, to the victorious, to the victorious, to the, to the victorious. And I want you to know, however dark or helpless or hopeless you feel or our place in culture, and I want you to know that King Jesus will come back for a victorious bride called his church. And in many ways, I, I, I wish, I, I actually don't wish I could change this. It's my favorite, the word. But I want you to know that there is a biblical precedent that we're experiencing right now where many of those things that we used to rely on and lean on, they're evaporating from our shoulders and elbows so that we'll learn to lean on the only one who is unshakable, Jesus Christ and his kingdom. That's the hour that we're in. There's a great shaking and the Lord's like, don't stop halfway to the pool. How many would think that there was a better method for healing that Jesus could have deployed for this man? No one's honest, but how do you improve upon Jesus' strategies? But I want to close with this, and maybe 
this is probably going to be a little minute series because I love the rest of John 9, the, the accusation, the trial. The, I love so good. I'm going to end right here. That, that, that gap between the mud application and the, the immersion in the pool. I want you to know that you and I and all of the breakthroughs of science, all the breakthroughs of technology, all the breakthroughs of travel, all the breakthroughs of agriculture, and we can never improve on the law of God. And what I believe prophetically, this walk between the mud application and the pool, is that many of us on that walk, we begin to negotiate internally of the ways of God and how they're viewed by those around us. And is it really, did he, let me, let me illustrate it. I'll just take the Beatitudes, for example. It's on the walk. Picture it. We begin to negotiate. We begin to kind of doubt. Am I talking to anybody? Anyone else ever struggle? But does he really mean? And so here he is. He's got mud on his eyes. I don't think he's thinking the Beatitudes. I'm thinking 2,000 years later. So go with me. Does he really mean that the poor in spirit receive the kingdom of God? That's not how the world works. Come on, somebody say amen. The poor aren't the possessors of, that's not, we got the mud on our eyes. We're like, does he really mean those who mourn will be comforted? Does he, does he really mean that the meek, not the mighty, not the powerful, they're the ones who inherit the earth? Does he really mean those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled? Does he really mean that those who are merciful, not those who are triumphant and powerful, the merciful are the ones who receive mercy? Does he, I mean, listen, it's on that walk from mud application to pool. We begin to look at the wisdom and ways of God, and we, we all have to have that dialogue of negotiating. Are we going to do it his way or our way? Our way always leads in death. Yahweh, his way always leads to life. And it's on that journey to the pool. Does he really mean the peacemakers will be called sons of God? Does he really mean the pure in heart will see God? Does he really mean those who are persecuted for the righteous sake of righteousness will, and will they'll receive the kingdom of heaven? Friends, I want you to know that that dialogue and that wrestle is real. Every believer has to face it. And in these days, every believer, like we're going to see next week, like his parents who say he's old enough, let him answer. Every believer is going to have to answer for that which they're building their life on in the days we're in. And I want you to know, don't ignore this wrestle between mud and the pool. Lean into it, but then submit all of your questions and concerns into a faithful, Jesus-saturated community with the Word at the center, with the Spirit burning in your lamp. Bring your doubts and Jesus I'm supposed to love my enemy? You can't mean that. That's not how it works. Don't you understand? And it's on this journey where we cannot afford to abandon the one who said go and be immersed in the pool. But don't ignore the wrestle. The wrestle is necessary. Because I'm convinced if in that place you just take the easy way out and abandon the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, the way of emptying yourself, denying yourself, carrying your cross, loving those who you deem as unlovable, when you abandon that, you take yourself outside of the flow and the source that will, will, will alone empower you to be a part of that victorious bride at the end of the age. 
We will not be victorious without the victor's crown given to us by Jesus himself in our midst, empowering us to walk in his ways. All right. Does that make sense? It's on that journey because it's foolish, right? Like I got mud on my eyes. Come on. Picture the guy. What are you doing? Get back and beg. No. The Messiah, this guy Jesus that I've heard about. He told me to go wash in the water. Oh, you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're foolish. Get back into your place. And Jesus is like, and this guy's like, get out of my way. I can't see you anyway. I've got an excuse to run over you. Oh, man. Hallelujah. And I want you to know that the entire church in America, many of us, this thing, that's still on. Many of us are on that journey between the mud on our eyes and the pool. And many people are abandoning the way of Jesus. Come on. Many people are picking up the easier things like vindication, retaliation, hatred, accusation, slander. Come on, am I talking to anybody about their social media feed yet? Many of us on that pool, it's easier to pick those stones up that those men already dropped two chapters earlier. One chapter earlier. And I want you to know that it's on that walk that we need each other more than we can imagine. How many know we all need a friend to look at us in the eye and say, hey, don't abandon not just your mental faith in Jesus, but your functional, operational faith in Jesus. you got to stay in his way. Live in the way of Jesus. You get out of the way of Jesus, you're left with all that you can manufacture, what you can do. And I don't know about you, I go bankrupt really, really quick when I'm not attached to the vine, to the source. Okay. So I want to encourage you. Millions of us are on that walk between the mud and the pool. Many people are moving the boundary line. So Jesus didn't really mean this or that. Friends, we cannot afford to be those people. I want to acknowledge the struggle is real. As the sifting and the, and the shaking happens and the foundations, even of your own life, feel like they're, they may be crumbling. But when you're on that journey of deconstruction and does he really, does this really? The greatest among you is your servant? No way. You bring all of those things to him with those that you love and trust, aiming at Jesus together. Friends, don't just ignore it. Lean into it. And your faith, 1 Peter chapter 1, will be refined by his purifying fire. And you'll have something of substance to stand the shaking that's coming. Is that good news? I'm not, I, there's no, it's not wishy-washy or, it's not, listen, the, the, I, okay, yeah, 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 boop, okay. Come on, is anyone, am I touching anybody's heart? Is any, does anyone understand the walk between the mud and the pool? He just, and I want to encourage us that when he releases his word, he is faithful to execute his word. But it wasn't 75% to the pool that the man was healed. It wasn't the sixth time that Naaman dipped in the Jordan. It was the seventh, and it was all the way into the pool called Sent. Amen. Amen. Stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. 
And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit a very, very simple and profound question. Just ask him one question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying and how are you leading? I want to be in. I want to just say yes to it. As foolish as it may look to my spouse or my best friend or my business partner or my children, my grandkids, I don't care, whatever it looks like. Holy Spirit, I want to be in. I want to just say yes to what the Word is speaking in this hour. And then I just pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, I want to go all the way. I don't want to move the boundaries. I don't want to abandon ship halfway to the pool called Scent. I want to be dunked in the waters called Scent. Because, Lord, if you can open my eyes, you just might be able to open other people's eyes around me. Come on, somebody. Jesus, whatever means and measures you deem fit, I want them in my life. Just tell them that. Whatever measures, however foolish and offensive it may feel to you, Jesus, just do what you want to do. Come on, how many have been to that place of desperation at midnight where you, you just said, I don't, Lord, I just, whatever it takes, do what you want to do. You have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? Peter told Jesus. And Father, I pray right now, just put your hand on your uh, wherever, I don't care, just, it, maybe it's weird, but can we just say, Jesus, we want you to touch our eyes. Come on, church, we want to see as you see. We want to be able to see through your eyes of blazing fire that both purify and penetrate and get to the root and heart of the matter. Come on, how many believe we need eyes to see today in this hour? of great darkness and chaos and confusion. And so, Father, I pray for spiritual sight over our church, over the church in this hour, that she would see as Jesus our King sees. Maybe today you're like, Chatty, I am that blind beggar. I want him to open my eyes to his saving, healing presence. And if that's you, can you just lift your hand? Yeah, don't be shy. You say, I, I, I need him to open my eyes. Praise God. Many, many hands. And just tell him, Jesus, open my eyes. I want to see. I am utterly incapable of bringing sight to that Lord which is blind in me. But you, Holy Spirit... You, Jesus, the living word, you, Father of glory. One word from your lips and my eyes can be opened. And Father, I pray right now for the power of having our eyes opened would break into our body. And then, Father, I pray, Matthew 6, that the eyes of our, of our body, that, 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 that they would be like a shining lamp that we could see as you see. And Father, I pray as we close right now, I pray that we would not abandon you on the way from the mud to the pool. <laughs> Lord, it's a difficult journey. Thank you that you told us it's a difficult journey, but you're with us in the valley and you're certainly with us on the mountain. Come on, somebody say amen. 
You will not abandon or leave or forsake or neglect your people on this great pilgrimage of faith. And so, Lord, be near us until we reach the pool. And then ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, who are you sending me to this week? Come on, somebody. We're all being immersed into that pool called Siloam, sent. And just say, Holy Spirit, show me their face. Give me their name. And I want to go to them in love and tenderness and boldness this week. Because all of us are being sent to somebody this week to love. We bless your name. Come on, let's bless his name together. Jesus, the king, the glorious one in our midst. We love your word and we love the gospel. I was blind. Say it with me. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. In Jesus' name, we all shouted, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have a blessed week. Turn to someone and say, you look beautiful with my new eyes. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. If you need prayer, come on up. We'll continue John 9 probably next week.